Welcome to UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. Okay, folks, welcome back, welcome back. We're here with, I believe, episode 10 of UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. And last time you heard us cover our uh, Stephen King sort of retrospective, covering a, covering a bunch of King adaptions. This time we're going to be talking about different book books adapted into horror movies. Um, each of our esteemed panel has chosen a film, and we'd go into it a little bit in depth, both the book and the uh, movie, and sort of see what everybody thinks about what. So, um, again, we've got Mr. Shane Smith from Over the Pond. Shane, how are you? Hello. I'm good, thank you very much. Excellent. And joining us once again is UHM's esteemed author, Mr. George Pastore. Hello, everyone. Good to be back. <laughs> An excellent return. Excellent return. Strong return. So I realized that we did not um, do our new segment we were supposed to do on every episode now. Um, so we're going to fill it in right here. Uh, our segment being, what's going on? So... What are you guys up to aside from the films that we uh, we've discussed? Are you watching any horror, reading any horror, playing any games, listening to music, TV shows, whatever? What are you guys up to? Uh, I am fully into full blown addiction of Preacher. Um, I've been watching the TV show, the comic. Yes, the TV show. Ah. Um, Watching that religiously every single week because it's fucking amazing um it's funny ow getting attacked by a kitten as well by the way <laughs> as we speak uh yeah it's funny it's innovative what they've done with it they've actually changed it up slightly from the comics which is really cool and it gives it a fresh kind of look and it's it's just one of those sh- one of those shows that i'm absolutely loving it I really am. Um, Dominic Cooper, fantastic as Jesse Cutler. Um, oh, Rita, Rita Negger is fantastic as Tulip. And I have to say, the prize for best actor goes to Joe Gilgan, who's playing Cassidy. Um, for those who aren't familiar with Joe Gilgan, he was in, um, was it Skins? No, Misfits which was a TV show in the UK, um, but he was also more famed for being in the film and TV series This Is England. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and uh, he's actually, he's a northerner. He comes from up north, and his Irish accent is actually far better than I ever anticipated. And his character of Cassidy is just, he's just genius. He really is. I love him. Um yeah, so yeah, watching Preacher. Obviously, um, kind of reeling from the finale of Game of Thrones at the moment. Right, let's not well. bring that up, Shane. Some of us haven't watched it yet. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I'm I'll say nothing more. Um, and uh, listening to lots of music. Not really watching so much movies or anything at the moment, um, but listening to a lot of music. I've just discovered a band called Grave Pleasures who are a Finnish psychobilly goth rock band. Um, and they're actually really good. And they remind me of lot, remind me a lot of 
uh, British punk band, The Damned. Cool. So, yeah, and uh, I've I got their album the other day, and absolutely loving it. Nice. How about you, George? Anything uh, interesting that you're uh, into right now? Uh, I'm just I'm constantly busy with work. Um, I'm on call 24/7 every day of the year, so it's been really busy with work. I get calls at night. Got to get out of bed, log in. It's just a pain in the ass. My my free time I I spend with my kids until they piss me off and <laughs> I send them to bed, and uh, I get some PlayStation gaming in. Um. Gamer tag is Cuddy Can't Hang. <laughs> if anybody wants to look me up, <laughs> of course, from the airplane movie. Um, and just doing a, a lot of editing and tidying up of what will be my first published novel to uh, back up the four short stories I have published in anthologies. Nice. And the story is just, <laughs> it's so far out there, and it's so, it's even creepy for me. And it, like in the previous podcast, I said, it's it, somehow it's just sticking in my mind when I'm going to sleep, and it's, it's giving me the strangest dreams. And it's, I hope it does that when it's, when it's out there for the masses to read. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to it. I can't, read to, can't wait to read it. Yeah, yeah I mean it, it's 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 about a it's about a mother and a daughter, um, a messy divorce, how evil is linked to childhood, and how some jack in the boxes should never be opened, especially if they find them at a garage sale and they're screwed shut. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's it's definitely a crazy read. Cool. So for myself, uh, lately I've been I've been collecting a stack of movies that I intend to watch that I haven't gotten to, and, and the, the the stack seems to keep growing and not shrinking down at all. I've got like a stack of like the Green Inferno and that new Batman v Superman uh, director's cuts in front of me too, and I've been wanting to watch that and read a, and write a review because that was my favorite failure of the year so far. I can't wait to see more of the movie. Very very <laughs> excited. Um, Horror-wise, uh, while I was on vacation, I actually started reading uh, a book on the history of um, Thomas Edison's Frankenstein, which is the 1910 version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and it's the first film of Frankenstein. Um, you could probably find it on YouTube. It's not too hard to find. It's only 15 minutes long, but there's like a whole book on sort of the history of it and how this was actually a lost piece of cinema that was rediscovered years and years later. And it's kind of an interesting story. You know, right now I'm, I'm sort of in the beginning of the book, the first third or so, and they're just going into the backgrounds of like um, a little bit of a, a, a biography on Edison and how he got into the film business and, you know, uh, how he ran his film business and stuff. There's some pretty interesting stuff that sort of goes into what a maniacal asshole Edison actually was in real life. So I'm liking that. Uh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. I like unique stuff like that that's, you know, it's true to life. And it's also got that little bit of, um, you know, horror history to it that goes into the beginnings of cinema and Frankenstein and all that. I like that stuff. So other than that, pretty much just like watching Mystery Science Theater and um, I don't know. 
whatever. Uh, I've been catching up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I don't recommend to anyone, but <laughs> when I've been watching it, so I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those shows that I'm like, well, I'm too deep now. I guess I have to keep watching it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know somebody else like that. Yep. <clears throat> it's too late. I'm gonna have to. Fi- I'm like, I'm on midway through season two. I'm gonna have to finish season two, and then I'm probably gonna have to start season three. Oh, uh, you're in. You're in for the long haul. Oh man, it's too late. You know what? It's because it's. I'm. I'm like a huge comic book movie fan, and. The fact that Marvel, the bastards, are smart enough to tie everything into the universes makes you want to, like, go, you know, search out all the stuff that they have that's actually connected to the universe. So you're like, shit, this crappy TV show is connected. Now I have to watch it. So I end up getting pulled. I'm blind and sicker. Yep. That's what happens to me. I don't know. So that's what I've been up to. But onto the topic of today's discussion, um, film adaptions. We covered Stephen King in our last one, so now we uh, we got a, a a book slash movie each that we decided to cover, and we're gonna sort of you know just discuss whatever comes along in talking about those adaptions. So, uh, Shane, why don't you start us off? Um, I believe you were going to take Let the Right One In? I am indeed. All right. Yeah. Um, Quite possibly one of my most favorite vampire films in the last 10 years. Um, Simply because the film itself, it's well written. And, it's yeah, it's very well written. It's beautifully filmed. Yeah. and it's essentially about a young boy who is bullied at school, constantly bullied, and um, you know I think he it gets to the stage where he's got certain obsessions going on in his life, um, and he's just start, it got to the age where he's interested in girls, and basically a young girl moves in next door to his flat, next door to his apartment, um, and uh, it turns out. Uh, spoiler alert, um, that she's actually a vampire, but he's completely unaware of it. And she moves into the apartment with her um, her servant, for want of a better word, who basically goes out and hunts people down and kills them, drains their blood, so she doesn't go out and do it herself. Um, and basically the film basically tells the story of how um, Ely, which is the vampire, and Oscar who's the boy next door, how their friendship builds throughout the entire film and how she helps him overcome some of the aspects in his life of where he's being bullied. And it's not your typical vampire film. It's not your typical vampire novel either. Um, But it's quite quite a touching film in the sense that it's from the perspective of a young boy you know, pre prepubescent boy who's just discovering the world. And when I say about his obsessions, he's got obsessions with like serial killers and stuff and <clears throat> completely unaware of the fact that his next door neighbour is actually going out and killing all these people and yet Oscar is making all these notes in this scrapbook. Um to do with all these murders that are going on. And uh 
how it eventually resolves itself when um, when the bullies get their comeuppance. Um, and that's pretty much it about the film itself, you know, that I can describe. The book itself um, <clears throat> differs slightly from the film. Um, well, basically, the film differs from the book, should I say, where um, there are a lot of different aspects. Um, and in the book, it actually turns out that um, Haken, who is Ely's guardian servant, is actually a wanted paedophile. And he's yeah. basically going around the country, moving from town to town, escaping arrest. And with Ely in tow, he sees Ely as a small, as a, obviously a child, who he can get his sexual frustrations out with, as described in the book. But there's more to it than that, you see. So, um... That's interesting. The, it's, uh, see, I, I've yeah. only seen the movie, and the way I thought, uh, at least, I mean, when it comes to the end, I mean, after you, you obviously find out Ely's a vampire and everything, but the way yeah. I sort of perceived it was that, what was the guy's name, Hagen? Um, uh, her, Hagen. Yeah, her, her, her servant. I thought that he sort of grew up with her. Like, as in, he met her when he was a child, and obviously she stays a child because she's a vampire. And while right. he grows up to be an old man, he stays with her and is her servant and is, like, like, you know, sort of loves her um, from having been with yeah. her his entire life. I thought, I that's what the way I took it, but it's really interesting to hear that in the book he was a pedophile. Yeah. So he was not with her and... for, for very long, or has it been a few years? It's been a few years, so essentially he she he basically sees her as a boy because she has the boyish appearance. So he sees her as something that he wants but he can't have, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So basically, in the book itself, he he looks for um, child sex slaves to get his jollies on, so to speak. And she say, she basically tells him that he can lay next to her, but he can't touch her. And it's that's why he goes out and he creates these horrific crimes against kids. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah. yeah so, um, but also in the book as well, uh, because in the film, um, spoiler alert, obviously, in the film, when he when Ely goes to the hospital and she drinks him um, after he's poured acid over his face yeah. in, a, in an attempt to kill himself, um, he winds up in the hospital. Ely goes to the hospital, drinks his blood, and kills him because she throws him out of the window. Right. In the book, that scene happens, but he survives because he's been affected with her vampirism. Huh. And so... Th so the second half of the book pretty much covers him going around and hunting and killing and um, you know it basically there's there's like the whole piece in the book where he has the final confrontation with 
Ely and a kid called Tommy who he tries he knocks Ely out and then tries to sexually assault Tommy and then Oscar pops up somewhere along the line and tries to kill him and you know it all goes for, it's all really quite twisted lots of twists and turns in the story as well where the first half of the book is all about Ely and Oscar the second half of the book is more about Haken than Alien Oscar, but it's such a good read. It is a really good read, um, and the original book was titled "Let Me In." So oh. when they remade the film, they've actually taken the original title of what it what it was. Oh, that's confusing. But then, yes. So um, right, the U.S. version is "Let Me In." The, the yeah. original Swedish version is Let the Right One In. Yes, but the original book was called Let Me In. Now, was the original book written in Swedish? Yes. Okay. So how does is, yeah. does that still work well with the English translation? It does. It works it's, It works incredibly well, actually. It's one of those books you can sit there and read it, and it flows perfectly. It's very, it's quite descriptive, not as descriptive as Stephen King, but you've got, you know, when I said earlier about using your own imagination to have the pictures in your head and how the story flows, it works perfectly with that. It's one of those books you can pick up, read it, imagine everything in your head. When you see everything in the film where it's pure white, where it's snow, it's so pure, it comes across like that in the book as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that sounds really good. I've uh, I have only watched the movie once, and this year was the first time I watched it. Actually, I, I haven't seen the American wow. one. How would you put the American one up against the Swedish one? I've not seen it. Oh, okay. So you haven't you haven't seen the, yeah, the U.S. one? No, I, it's one of those films. One of those things where I love the original film so much, I refuse to watch. The American version. Interesting thing about the American version. I mean, I say it's the American version, but do you know who produced it? Um, Sam Raimi, wasn't it? Hammer. Yeah, see, I heard that as well. But, see, the thing with Hammer, a lot of their most recent films aren't that great. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've got the, um, uh, the, what's it, The Woman in Black? Got a couple of yeah. those. See, that, that was that was okay. That wasn't a bad film, but then they also had Wakewood. Wakewood. But that was um, Hammer. Yeah, that was that was Hammer. Oh, I didn't know that. I think I actually own that. That's not even in my Hammer section. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then actually, there was that's not because Wakewood was supposed to be the first official. Um, return for hammer but it wasn't it was actually an online film called children of the grave hmm. which about an underground rave um i've not seen it myself but i hear it's online and stuff like that but um it was yeah wakewood i watched it recently for the first time i wasn't overly impressed with it hmm. no it's interesting did george you... did you see the the remake of like let me in, whatever it's called. I, my, I, I have not, and I'm actually curious to see if the the American version is closer to the foreign film version or the actual book. Right. Yeah, that would be quite interesting. 
did you uh you didn't read the book at all right no i i would be curious to hear somebody who's read the book saw the original version and then saw the american version i, I would like to know where the american version goes if it stays to the the film yeah or if it stays to the book yeah i definitely see it. i mean it's got it's got chloe grace moretz in it so i mean i like her as an actress she's got to be relatively yeah. good in it i've heard positive things from a lot of people i just haven't seen the u.s one see it's one of those films where i know I've, i know i said that i wouldn't want to watch it because i'm such a purist because i love the film let the right one in so much it is one of those films I'd watch out of morbid curiosity. I'd have to I'd have to see if anybody who I know has got it, so I could borrow it to watch it, so I don't have to pay money in case I don't like it at all. If you see what I mean. <laughs> but um, it, it gets decent reviews. It really does. Yeah, I know. It's just it's just for me. It's like what was that? <laughs> I think that was somebody's phone. <laughs> I just, Oh, right. I was going to say, I heard honking. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is one of those films, I'd, I don't know, I may watch it somewhere down the line, but I love the original too much. Hmm. And plus, I, don't, I like watching films with subtitles. Oh, <laughs> like so it's alright, I choked on my own... Uh... Out of my own throat there. I don't even know what I was doing. <laughs> I got too excited when you okay. said subtitles. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big yeah, fan that. of foreign movies. Um, yeah. I feel like, I, I don't know, there's so, so many people you see nowadays, especially younger horror film fans, that just refuse to watch movies if they have subtitles. And I don't get it. I mean... Laziness. I, I guess it is, or people don't yes. like to read or something. I've always been a fan of pretty much all subtitled movies. I mean, we used to we used to get some of the really bad um, subtitled VHS of like crazy kung fu movies back in the day, like chess boxing and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I, I sort of not not necessarily grew up, but you know, was pretty familiar with watching a movie with subtitles. You know, even before I started watching actual good movies, you know, like artsy movies and stuff. But, you know, even with the acting and speaking a different language, you don't understand the 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 tones and the intensity that the actors take when you read the words below. It's as good, you know, sometimes better than what you get out of a U.S. version. I agree. Especially dubbing. Dubbing is shit. If you're watching a film dubbed in English, yeah. just don't. Just go back to the Japanese for, or you know, go back to the original language version. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you don't like subtitles. Just read the damn yeah, things. That's, you, you just, you're <laughs> going to have to do it. Just do it. Yeah. I'm quite happy because, I mean, I've got a few um, subtitled movies in my collection. And I have people come around and I'll be like, oh, let's watch, say, The Host. Or the original, Let the Right One uh, In, you know, filmed with subtitles. I love The Host. And people, Yeah, me too. And people are like, oh... I don't want to watch it because it's got subtitles. And I'm like, well, learn to fucking read then. <laughs> you know? <It's... laughs> it, it, I've said that numerous times to people, and they just look at me completely flabbergasted. Cause I'm like, come on, it's just a movie at the end of the day. Yeah. So just, you know, just fucking read it. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, for me, Let the Right One is definitely one of my most favorite vampire films in the last 10 years. 
easily. Yeah, it's great. That was actually, if people go back and listen to our uh, our vampire coverage, I had talked Shayna out of doing "Let the Right One In" during that um, during that podcast because uh, he was he was he was pushing for it. He wanted it. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think it fits better into the book adaption one because I'm actually uh, I was actually interested in hearing you know some of the differences and especially that pedophile thing that yeah. that sheds a whole lot of like a different light that I took on you know his relationship with Ellie. Um, yeah, the see, movie. that's the thing because obviously it does it does not come across in the film at all no. that he could be a pedophile or anything like that. You know, it's just like he's her servant and he goes out and does her bidding for her gets the blood and all that kind of stuff and that's it you just you just you're under the assumption that he's doing it so he himself can become a vampire at some stage and if anything you you sort of pick up like a disgust or a hatred he has for oscar like he doesn't doesn't want ellie hanging out with him he doesn't want ellie spending time with him yeah so that's really interesting but i love yeah, I just love how it comes across, and the friendship of the two characters in the film is brilliant because obviously it's as with any kind of kid, you know, you meet somebody new and you're like, who who are you, you know, and what are you doing? Why do you want to play with me? That kind of thing. But it's the way it's how it's everything is filmed at night, you know, with Ely, obviously because she's a vampire, but all the stuff during the day that he's doing. And obviously, you can tell he wishes that she was there with him to help him. And there are some great scenes in that film, yeah. you know. I, I mean, when, when they're all out on the ice and they're ice skating oh, yeah. and stuff, and the little kids find the corpse, and then Oscar hits that kid around the ear with a stick. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you, you little fucker, you deserve that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I definitely laughed out loud when and, that happened. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just the way how he holds his ear and he screams. I thought, yeah, scream like a little bitch. And, you know, it's just so well acted. And it's it's a great film. I, I do love it. I really do. And I would recommend it to anybody who hasn't actually seen the original Swedish version of Let the Right One In. Yeah, it really is a very artful movie, too. I mean, all the cinematography oh, yeah. done in it. You have all those the bleak, bleak whites and, and greys and everything. And yeah. you know, when you have the characters, like when they're sitting on the little the jungle gym or whatever the little the little place that is in the middle of the uh, the apartment complex that they live in, um, mm. their clothing really stands out of whatever they're wearing because everything is sort of covered in yeah. a light dusting of snow. And yeah, but if you notice, every absolutely every scene in that film has either the color red or red or orange together. Yeah, I read about that. Scene. Yeah. Even because obviously it represents it represents blood. Yeah, even the daytime so, scenes when it when it is during the day. Yeah. I mean, other than the stuff in the school, it's it's bleak. Whenever they show anything going on yeah. outside, I mean, I, you know, if, if you live anywhere that has a lot of snowfall in the winter, you you can sort of understand that when you go outside in the winter during the day, it still looks like gray and sort of hazy out, kind of shitty, mm-hmm. and you you get that feeling when you're watching this whole movie. It comes through really well. Yeah. So, what do you think, George? You got any uh, any thoughts on let the right one in here? Yeah, I mean, I'm, after hearing this, I'm just I really want to see the American version, and I'd I'd like to 
discuss it after I see it with somebody who's actually seen <laughs> the original and read the book. Because I want to know where the American version falls. If it falls... I mean, I'm going to be willing to bet it probably copied more off of the movie than the book. I think it does. I've heard that it does. Somebody told me it was essentially a scene-for-scene scene remake. Really? Yeah. Um... But obviously, I've not seen the American version, so I can't I can't say that it does. But that's what I've heard from people who have seen it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to check it out and uh, do a little revisiting and come back yeah. to that one after we all watch it. I can't believe n yeah. <laughs> nobody here watched it. That was like a big release in the U.S. and nobody's seen it. It's funny. Yeah, oh, it was huge over here as well. We got a big release over here. It actually went to theaters over here. But when people were like, "Oh yeah, let me in," I, I just like essentially I just hissed at yeah. people. Now, would you, you know. would you get a Swedish release over in the UK, Shane? Yeah, I'm, I yeah. mean not on a DVD. I mean like in the theaters. Um, only in specialist theaters. We've got one cinema in the UK in Norwich called Cinema City, and they specialize in old movies and obscure foreign titles so you have to literally check the websites every week to see which movies they have on because they never have anything on for more than a week yeah. and then sometimes they usually have just one-off showings as well um, which I think is kind of cool in a way because I can remember actually going to see the um, Death Proof and um, Planet Terror, oh, the House double feature. Yeah. yeah, we actually had it for one night only in the U in Norwich, and um, it was really cool. And the cool thing about um, Cinema City is that you can actually sit in the cinema, and they've got sofas. They don't have chairs. They've got sofas you can sit on, Gross. and you can take your yeah, you can <laughs> take your take your beer in and your munchies and you can just sit there and completely relax. It's really cool. Yeah, they... Do you take a black light with you too, just to make sure? <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Spot the juice stains. There we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they've got a... Uh, there's, there's, I mean, not without the sofas, but there's a... It used to be a little better. There's a small theater in New Haven by me that... that does foreign and old movies sometimes you know on saturday nights and sunday nights they'll play older movies and then um yeah. they'll do they'll do a bunch of foreign movies but to find to find a horror movie like a foreign horror movie show up there it's usually not going to happen it's usually like an artsy french movie you know that shows up not not so much anything that's funner that you'd actually want to watch yeah see i've been to cinemas in london as well with um my, my buddy Romick um, a couple of times and one cinema I went to the Prince Charles cinema um, I went to go and see Grand Budapest Hotel nice. and uh, first time I'd ever been in this cinema and it was this tiny cinema and it literally had one screen um, and it's like you walked in you had the, you had the kiosk and then you walked down the stairs and turned to the left and you had the cinema screening room and turned to the right and you had the bar and in the bar they were selling vinyl soundtrack albums and I just looked in and I was like oh my god there's so much vinyl I could buy 
So they even had the reboot of Evil Dead on vinyl. On vinyl? On the vinyl soundtrack. And you didn't get yeah. it for me, Shane. I'm offended. I didn't have... <laughs> hey, dude, if I was going to buy it for anyone, I would have bought it for I'm me. I'm breaking your balls. So, yeah. I have no idea that I... You know what? I actually own that soundtrack. Yeah. I just don't have it on vinyl. <laughs> I've got a CD. Oh, why? I don't even have it on CD, so I'm going to have to... We're going to have to arrange something there, Ryan, yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> out I don't know, but, Shane. You've only sent me like twelve Evil Dead copies. I don't know if I can manage to send one over yeah, there. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's not every day somebody sends you like a primary copy of Evil Dead Two on Blu-ray. Oh, Ryan. that's <laughs> one know. of my favorites. One of my uh, favorites. Yeah, so complete with all the paperwork that came with it. You know, it's not like I turn around and say, "Here, Ryan, have this," because I don't have a Blu-ray player. And now that I do, and I will say this out loud. I regret that deeply. <laughs> so Shane sent me, yeah. it's, a, it's a UK version, it's a Studio Canal screener of Evil Dead 2 before they actually released their Blu-ray of Evil Dead 2. Uh, I don't know how you got it, but you did somehow. Um, yeah. And it essentially, it came with a letter, I guess you'd call it a letter of authenticity, but it's a letter explaining what it is. It's like, oh, this is Evil Dead 2, you know, please review it and blah, 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 blah. And so Shane sent that over to me because he didn't have a Blu-ray player at the time, so now I'm in possession of it, which I'm very happy. There's a there's a big Evil Dead collector audience that people, and I, I'm on all the horror collector groups. People collect all every copy of Evil Dead because there's a billion of them, and yeah. nobody nobody has this. I've never seen <laughs> <any of> this. Ah. <laughs> uh. So you've got one up on them. So thank, thank you, Shane. That's the, that's one of my prize Evil Dead possessions. See, that's what friends do. You know, <laughs> we send each other stuff. All right, Shane. I'm gonna. I'll, so, I'll send you a yeah. uh, a vinyl copy of the Langolier soundtrack. There you go. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, Brian. Ryan. <laughs> you can you can keep that yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean. I mean, yeah, so going into the cinema, obviously slightly digressing, the cinema was just amazing because there was like 200 seats, one big screen, and I was like, this is amazing, it's such a beautiful cinema. And two days later, this is where I was getting at, two days later, can you remember, um, what was it, the band DVD? Um, I'm pretty sure you got, it was like 100 films, the A to Z of band movies. Oh, yeah, the... the, the um... Um, the video nasties um, that's the documentary. The yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, two days later, they were having the screening of Volume Two of that. Yes. With with the director and a couple of the actors from the film. Oh, that's awesome! And they were doing a Q and A. A great do- and... two great documentaries for anybody looking for any of those. They're both awesome. Yeah, and it was the day I was going home when. It was when it was happening, and I was like, "Oh man, if I could have gone, you know, to that, that would have been awesome." But that was the night I was coming home. That's a shame. Yes. So wrapping up. So one. wrapping up. Let the yeah. right one in. Yes. Any other uh, standouts from the book that you'd like to point out? Um, I'm just trying to think. Actually, I think it's. Uh... No, that's generally it. You know, there's not much else you can really say about it from what I've obviously, other other than what I've actually said. So, but, what was, what's the official title of the book? 
the official title of the book, the, well, there's actually two versions, right? Because you've got Let the Right Let Me In, which was mm. the original Swedish version. When they re-released it, they actually called it Let the Right One In. Okay, now I figured that. So what? What's, yeah. What relevance is that? Um, it was. I, I'm not really sure. All I know is that basically, when you buy the book now, it is called Let the Right One In. So I think it's the original first pressings in Swedish were called Let Me In. So, it, but does that mean anything in context to the actual story? Like, no, like, it's exactly the same. Exactly the same story. You know what? Uh, uh, so hmm. maybe I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe he's asking this, but what does "let the right one in" mean? Because I, I understand. Yeah. I understand "let me in." That makes sense in terms of the story. What does "let the right one in"? It's a lyric. It's a song lyric that the writer uh... used for the book. And it, I'm not sure which song it is, but it's a song by Morrissey. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. I, yeah, I, just, right. I was confused. I just checked on Amazon, yeah. uh, too, George, uh, at least in the U.S., easy enough. It's Let Me In. Um, you could find on there on Amazon pretty quickly. I was always wondering what the difference in the title, like, why, the, why was there a difference? Yeah. I was going to say, let me in right. makes sense. I mean, that's, okay, yeah. The vampire's got to be invited in. I get it. Um, yeah. Let the right one in. You're like, what's the right one? <laughs> yeah. Is there a door number two? Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, so that's but, cool. yeah. You know what? I just checked on Amazon. There's also uh, apparently some pornographic novel called Let Me In by Michelle Lynn. It's, <laughs> it's got a naked guy on the front cover. So if anybody's interested in that, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if it has anything. I'll pass on that one. Thanks. I don't know if it has anything to do with vampires. Well, at least it's not the Vampire Diaries or <laughs> anything, any, any of that kind of shit. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Shane. Well, thank you very much. All right. You're most welcome. Um, did you want to bounce, or do you want to stay around for a little bit? Um. I think what I'll do is I will I'll I will listen for a little while, and then I will uh, kind of bounce as and when because I am slowly doing the nodding dog. Yeah, well, well don't here. let us keep you up. If if you start snoring, I'm gonna mute your mic. <laughs> don't worry, I'll be sure to put you to sleep with my bullshitting about the Exorcist. I can't wait. Uh, <clears throat> Speaking of which, yeah. let's move on to our next one, George. And uh, you chose The Exorcist to cover for a film book adaption. Yeah, I um, I chose this specifically because um, Peter Vladdy actually wrote the book with full intention of it being a movie. Hmm. So he, when he wrote the book, he actually kept it in mind that this was most likely going to become a movie. He planned on it from the very beginning, which is probably could be one of the first times ever that's happened. Um, when he wrote the book, he, he knew for a fact that it was going to be a movie. So he wrote in a way where it could be easily translated to film and sit and stay true to the source material. Did he have other uh, book adaptions made in the past? Not that I know of. No, this this was his first. Um, 
and he tapped into things at just the right time. I mean, this was early 70s. Um, when the movie was released, it, there were lines, not just the, the, the theaters to see this, but it actually created lines getting into church. <laughs> it scared the shit out of people so badly that like Sunday masses were were unbearable. It, they, it created crowds of people going to church. They suddenly thought they were going to become possessed and, you know, puking up pea soup all over everybody. But even though he wrote it with full intentions from the very beginning of it becoming a movie, the book is still superior than the movie because it, it's, it's more personal. Um, it's certain things that are in the book that didn't make it into the movie are stuff that you just can't explain. Like in the movie, I'll ask both of you guys, did you get a feeling that it was a game for the demon? Yes. Uh, yeah. Only in the sense of like how the demon reacted, um, you know, to the, to the, to the two priests, like the priest would try something and, um, Pazuzu would come back with something along the lines of a, of a joke or just trying to offend them, you know? Yeah. You're, that's actually, you're one of the first people to actually answer that the right way. Um, because it was a game and in the book, you, you, there's no second guessing it. I mean, in the book, you, you know, it's a game. Like all the insults that you hear in the movie, they're in the book, but, and then some, uh, and some of the insults are actually, um, they're playing with gamesmanship, I don't know, in a way. Like, at the, near the end of the film, mm -hmm. when, when the final battle's going on, and, uh, Merrin, you know, takes on the demon, and then, yeah. what does he do? He, and he actually, he beats it. The demon in the book actually tells him, if that's not fair, you were losing. Hmm. So it, there's no second-guessing the fact that this was a game. It, it, in the book, also, you you know in the book that the demon is purposely keeping Reagan up because he wants to kill her slowly, and he wants to deprive her of sleep. But in the movie, you, you, you see a lot of the times where she's actually sleeping. Yeah, right. Which is contradictory to the book. In the book, she's never sleeping. He, Pazuzu, does everything he can to keep her awake because she's weaker, and then he wants to slowly kill her by like depriving her of sleep. Now, I, I I have this book. As it turns out, I didn't even know I owned it. I think it's actually one of my exes that just got left behind. But um, I I skimmed through it a little bit. I didn't go too far. I just really read the first chapter or so. Do they go into any detail in terms of, like, Pazuzu's motivations or anything? Yeah, it's, it's, it's simply a game. Hmm. It's simply a game. And even to the point of, like, simple, like, name-calling, like a, like a child, like a child, like a child game. Like, he refers to Regan a lot as his little piglet. And I don't ever recall that being in the film. But it's in the book, and he he plays off that. Like another perfect example of something that's in the book, but 
also in the movie, but we didn't get it until they re-released it, which is the infamous Spider Walk. Sure. Oh, that was awesome. That was. It was. It was pulled off in the movie. It looked good for its time, but the yeah. way it's described, and the way it plays out in the book, it just chills you to the bone. With it doesn't the scene doesn't do how it plays out in the book justice whatsoever. I mean, it it looked hokey a little bit when they showed it. Movie. I don't know. I can remember when they when they you know re released the extended edition or whatever it was called. Um, I th- I think it was in the late nineties. It must have been. And nineteen ninety eight. Yep. And, and I remember going to theaters and seeing that, and that creeped the shit out of me when I saw it. Actually, yeah. I went I went and saw that on the twenty fifth anniversary. That was the first time I'd actually seen the film itself. Really. Um. Yeah. Because um, I'd heard so much about it, because in the UK it was banned for years, and you couldn't actually get it on VHS at all. Holy shit! And, and it was literally, quite literally, banned until the 25th anniversary. Um, it hadn't been shown in cinemas since 1973, and it was never released on VHS uh, because the BBFC basically put a blanket ban on it in the UK. And then when they re-released it, they eventually released it on Blu-ray and DVD. Um, and that took about five years before it actually got released on DVD. Wow. wow. So it was two, 2003, I think it was when it first turned out on DVD. That's insane. I mean, because that yeah. that's like a U.S. horror staple. I mean, mm-hmm. that's right up there with like Psycho and Dawn of the Dead and all the, you know, the, the number one classics. You know, it's, it's one of the few yeah. horror movies that's nominated for an Academy Award, so... It's it's such yeah. a big deal in the U.S. It seems insane that it didn't have that kind of release presence in the U.K. Yeah, not until the re-release. Wow. So yeah, yeah. so that was set. That was October, October nineteen ninety eight. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. They released that in time for Halloween, I believe, if I remember correctly. I mean, as far as like the difference in the book and the, and the film, the, other than those things, it really isn't much different. But the experience is totally different. Um, you can watch the movie. I mean, obviously, it's, it's pretty creepy. If you if you're younger and watching it, like when I seen it, when I first seen it, I was what, eight years old, and it you know <laughs> yeah. scared the shit out of me. But it, it was a movie. When it was over. It was over. Yeah. The the book, eh, you feel wrong for reading it. That, that's how that's how evil the book feels. It, the way if you're when you're sitting there reading this happening, you almost feel like you shouldn't be reading it. It it brings the fear level up like significantly over the movie. Because when you're reading it and you put the book down and it's like you, you know you read it and then you, you start looking at the book again and you're like, oh my god, this book is out of control. It's still sitting here. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I can't see it right now. <clears throat> and it's, 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 it's so powerful, the words in that book. I mean, to read about what's happening, it's more, it just sticks in your head a lot more. But, you know, no one's ever going to forget the, the, the image of Regan's like, fully possessed face with the scratches and the those eyes and, and you know her head turning around yeah you know, the 
the vomit. And that's all in the book, but there's a little bit more of it. But the fact that it's something tangible, you know, and you're reading it, and it, it just seems you, you don't feel right reading it. The only movie that made me feel like reading the book, The Exorcist book, is The Witch. That's that's the only movie I ever felt completely uncomfortable from beginning to end. I have and, that's quite a big film, though, isn't it? it the Witch, it, it, as I'll describe, that is also in my pile of movies that I haven't watched yet, sitting there. I felt I felt unnerved from the beginning of that movie to the oh, end. Oh man, it I was, gotta watch this now. A lot of people hate the movie. I mean, a lot of people hate Listen, it I, I, because it's th- so slow. Those are the same people that I, I assume hate. Don't like, do subtitles. That hate like <laughs> Baba Duke and hate like um, um, what was another one that came out last year? That was a big deal with the girl, the sex demon following her. Oh, it, it follows. follows right. Um, I, I feel like people don't like sort of psychological horror movies I, I don't know it's it's this thing i see from a lot of horror fans that are like well if there's not a goofy slasher with a mask stabbing people then it sucks yeah, exactly and this movie it it doesn't it doesn't stray it doesn't break its mold to to appeal to people it is what it is i mean think about it this movie was actually approved by um that group that worships satan Wait, which ones? They not the, they put their stamp of approval on this movie. Not the Satanic Temple, is it? Yeah, I think it well, is. Well, they don't worship Satan. They're kind of a bullshit group that only exists to sort of shit on religion. Um, I mean, they yeah. say things about Satan because they know it annoys Christians, but I don't think they actually worship Satan. But unless there's some other group. I mean, if it's the Satanic Temple with Anton LaVey, um, I believe that's more... We're just gonna piss off Christians as opposed to hail Satan. Yeah, it it was um satanic revolution. Um, think of satanic temple, satanic revolution, uh, whatever the hell they want to call themselves. But yeah, I mean, the way I felt watching the witch, the only thing that came close to that is when I read The Exorcist. Did you it's see now? I, I I can't remember the name of this movie. Um, I, this is totally off topic completely off topic but um it was from i want to say around 2004 2005 it was a witch movie that took place i think around the same time period as the witch um uh it was like sort of like the crucible time period you know way back in the pilgrim days when the witch hunts were going on shit i can't who was in it i have no idea i just remember seeing it on a date and I didn't get laid, so I forgot the movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I can't for the life of me think of what that is. Oh, I'll have to think about it. I I, I don't know. That is total aside from Exorcist and all that. Anyway, we're just we're just thinking about that. We'll probably get a message later on yeah. from Brian. Yeah, it's gonna be like, oh, I know what it is. Oh, it's gonna be like four a.m. <laughs> but anyway, mm. so yeah, I mean, the the. The adaption is is near perfect to the book. It's just that the only difference I can say for anybody wondering how close it is to the book, it's fairly identical. I mean, I can nitpick and choose ways that the book is different, but the movie makes up for it in other ways. So it's just a matter of what you feel, what what 
what makes people fear things is different for everybody. And just the fact that the book is tangible, like in your hands and and you're reading this stuff and you just feel like it's something you shouldn't be reading. Like it's like if you're going in your attic and you find a a fucking Ouija board covered in dust and you say, Oh, this is, this is a great idea. Let's wait till midnight comes around, light a few candles and ask some questions. (laughs) It's just wrong. That's the same feeling you get when you read this book. It, it will, it will scare the shit out of you. Yeah. And, and movie movie wise as well, I mean, The Exorcist is sort of responsible for creating, I think, all of the satanic movies of the seventies and into eighties. You know, all the all the the witch boards and any possession movie. I mean, there was there's got to be a dozen or, or so um, Italian ripoffs of The Exorcist, including like um, um, uh, what's that fucking movie, Mario Bava. The door, at the end of the door, open the door, something along those lines. I can't remember the name of it right now. It wasn't House of Seven Doors, was no, it? No, no, no. Um, mm, had a good three, there's three of them. Behind the door? I think that's it, behind the door. Anyway, uh, it's just complete exorcist ripoffs. It's, it's, they just, they almost, it's scene for scene almost that they, you know... Steel you know, another thing too is a lot of people like when I I saw this in the theater when it when it had its 25th anniversary, and I was in the theater. Obviously, there were this one thing when it released. It was still like the I think it was the craze of like kind of like a reinvention of the horror movie was going on mm-hmm. when this released. I think it might have been the, I'm not even sure it was around the time when Scream came out or right after Scream, and uh, there was laughing. I mean when when she was on the, the famous scene when she's on the bed with the crucifix, like, let Jesus fuck you, let Jesus. And <laughs> there, was, there was no one, like, scared. It was like people were laughing. And tell you what, when you, I, can, I understand that to an extent, but when you're reading this shit in a book, the way they, they portray it and you, you're leaving it up to your own mind to visualize this, there's no laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, you're not laughing. That's the there's, there's been some great parodies of it as well over the years. Yeah, um, repossessed. I've seen uh, repossessed. Elvira did one as well, oh, um, where basically she sits on a bed screaming, "Your mother counts socks in hell," um, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the it is one of those most iconic scenes in film history. I think you know, yeah. just seeing a young girl being possessed and you know, all manner of torture being unleashed upon her. And then you watch it and you think, how the hell is she going to get out of that one? You know, <laughs> but it's, it was such a well-written, I mean, obviously I've only, I've not actually read the book, I've seen the film, but for me, it is a well-written story. It's great visually for its time. It is amazing. And, you know, it just surprises me that it took so long to actually get a release in the UK. Yeah, that is crazy. I still don't understand that. That that just seems really outlandish. Yeah. But that's my take on the Exorcist book to movie. I mean, awesome. I mean, I've even people. I've even heard people say that it, 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 it's those scenes are campy. I mean, they're they're really not. It's just 
it's just the difference of people now and people back when this movie was released. I mean, it, like you're the, the kids that are watching this movie now, looking like, oh, people saying this is like the scariest movie ever made, and these are the people that find like you know the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like the best movie ever. Listen, that one wasn't that bad. All right. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I actually preferred the remake over the original. Oh, that's a that's oh. a bold statement there, Shane. Yeah, yeah fuck. Like they yeah. back to the old fuck Tobe Hooper. Tobe Hooper. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> oh boy. No, it's, you know, no, I did actually prefer the remake over the original. Um, it's it's just one of those films I remember seeing it because I went and saw it at the cinema. And I thought, actually, this is a really good film. Um, so much better, a lot more gorier, and really well done. And uh, Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel. Uh, yeah. Can't argue that. And um, it, she, there was also another chick in it who was in the Blair Witch Project too. Um, she yeah. played. Yeah, she was in it as well. Hmm. Blair Witch Two. Oh, that, I remember that one. Okay. Yeah. Underrated movie, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, Blair Witch Two, I, I liked. That was good. Yeah, that was the one. I love, I, didn't Manson do do? He had like disposable teenagers. Was on that uh, soundtrack, I think. Uh, disposable teens, yeah, yeah. I've got the soundtrack um, for Blair Witch Two, but disposable teens is in the film, but it's not on the soundtrack album. Really? There's another track on there. Yeah, oh, that sucks. Um, because that came out the same time as the album Hollywood did. And Disposable Teens was the first single off the album, um, and they released it to coincide with the Blair Witch Two. Hmm. Um, so the song on the soundtrack album is Manson's cover of "Suicide Is Painless." Hmm. Cool. Interesting title. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I just I just completely geeked out there. <laughs> <laughs> you like went into it. You went into your own uh, possession and uh, spouting random uh, yeah. random uh, soundtracks and lyrics. Yeah, sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's five to three in the morning, so yeah. Oof. Well, we won't we won't blame you for being a little out of uh, out of your sorts, Shane. No, no, that's cool. So, all right, Listen, well, that's pretty yeah, good coverage that's... on The Exorcist we got there. So, for mine, I decided, when I thought about covering a movie, originally I was going to do um, American Psycho, because it's both one of my favorite horror movies and one of my favorite books. Because I sort of wanted to choose something where the book is so different from the film that there's like a lot, a lot of you know comparisons you can make. But after sort of breezing through American Psycho a little, I mean, I've, I've read it, once or twice, maybe I've read it twice, but I was sort of just refreshing myself on a couple chapters. Um, it's so vastly different that I don't know that I could do it justice by sort of, you can't like be like, oh, in this scene, you know, he chases a girl with a chainsaw, we're in this one, oh, it's like hedge trim, or like you can't sort of cover it like that because they are so different in terms of the way it's written. Like Brett Easton Ellis wrote American Psycho as the most insane literature I've ever read. Like, it's just the craziest shit. In in one section, he's talking about um, 
going going on vacation, you know, like one chapter would be like, oh, I spent the weekend out on uh, in the Hamptons and I bought a puppy and then I put it in the freezer because it was bothering, you know, he'd be like, you know, and then then I served the puppy's entrails to my girlfriend. She didn't notice it fed well into the raspberry jam. And he'll go into detail of like the brand of jam and, you know, this particular consistency in the grocery store that he bought it at and how much it cost. It's such an insane book that I, I, I don't think I can even describe how crazy it is compared to the movie. The movie's nuts. It's a great book. Great book. Yeah, it's a great book, though. Oh, absolutely. It's one of my favorites. So I'm, oh, I'm going to say I, flat I, I, out, I recommend everybody yeah. go for that because that was my first thought of it. But it honestly ended up being a little bit too much work to really cover all the, the in-depth attitude you could go into with how nutty uh, Ellis gets in his book compared to the movie. So instead, I took a little different tactic. I, I chose a book I hadn't read before, and I actually read the book to do the podcast. So the movie's Bad Moon, werewolf movie from 1996, and the book is Thor by uh, Wayne Smith. So is that the Michael Pare movie? Yes, it is. The reason uh. the reason I chose this and I had heard about it was that the entirety of the book is written from the point of view of a German shepherd. And I'm like, that sounds absolutely crazy. And the movie's not like that. It's not shot like that at all. I mean, it's it's a it's a movie about a werewolf and the family has a German shepherd and the German shepherd, you know, defends against the werewolf, but it's not shot from the dog's perspective, but apparently the, mm -hmm. the book was written, so I chose that to sort of read by it. And if you think about it, this is a movie that shouldn't really exist because how would you make a movie shot from a dog's perspective unless it was like, you know, Look Who's Talking or um, uh, uh, what's the one where the dogs get lost from their house and they got to find their way home? Homeward Bound. You know, unless it's like yeah. a comedy or a family movie where they put yourself, they put the people in the dog's head and have like a voiceover. There's no way they could do a werewolf movie like that. It would be ludicrous. So the yeah. book is like super different in terms of perspective, the way it's told. But it follows the storyline pretty close. You know, the same sort of events happen in it. In fact, you know, I was thinking the only movie that I know of that they use the dog's perspective to tell a story in, in like a, a horror movie or serious movie is The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Have you guys ever watched that one? The original. Oh, no, I don't think so. So in that one, that, no, that, I... that's, it's a Wes Craven movie. It's a sequel to his Hills Have Eyes. In the original Hills Have Eyes, if you guys remember, one of the, there's two dogs, right? Yeah, and I believe one of them gets <clears throat> killed and the other dog goes out for vengeance and like gets pissed off at the, the mutants. Yeah. The sequel, the same family's involved and the dog is in it. And the dog has a flashback where like it remembers the scenes from the first movie. It's like the only time I know of like a dog flashback and it's meant to be taken seriously. Like it shows the dog's face and it's like Ooh, doo, 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 and the screen sort of fuzzies and then <laughs> So it didn't really work in that movie. So you, you gotta you gotta really wonder how it would work in, you know, a whole film told from a dog. So, but anyway, I think while you're on that subject, I, I'm almost positive though. But when the book, did you ever read The Watchers, Dean Kuhn? No. Did you ever see the movie? Um, was that the one about alien? It was it was a predator ripoff. No, maybe that was something. Maybe that was watching. No, 
It was um, a science experiment. That there was a, a, a monster and a dog that were like linked together telepathically. Oh, I heard about that. That sounds really familiar. Part of that story was told from the dog's yeah. perspective. In the, in the movie, too? I want to say no, but in the <laughs> book it was. Everybody always thing. shy away from the dog perspective. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually a really good movie. It was with Corey Haim and uh, I, I want to say Michael Ironside was in oh, it. Oh, cool. I love Michael Ironside. He was the main guy looking for the um, the creature to kill it. Nice. And he knew the only way to get to the creature because the creature's main goal was to find the dog and kill it. Yep. So in order to kill the creature, he, Michael Ironside was trying to get the dog. Oh, I got gotcha. you. But in the book, a lot of some of the stories actually told from the dog's perspective. And this was Dean Koontz? Yep. Nutty. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to throw us off on a tangent. No, no, we're no, talking no. That's, that's perfectly fine. Filming from a dog's perspective, The Watchers is actually right up Wait there. Wait a with second. It. This is the movie that I was thinking of that's like a Predator ripoff, I think. Didn't they make sequels to that? Yeah, The Watchers 2 is like a Predator that's, ripoff. Okay, that's the one. All right, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I know this movie is like a Predator movie. Watchers 2. Gotcha. Um, okay, so anyway. So the author, like, really tries um, to impart on the reader that, like, the, the the main character's Thor, and that's the name of the book is Thor, if I don't know if I said that. Uh, instead of called Bad Moon, it's called Thor. So, that like, Thor is a dog, and he doesn't see the world like humans do. Like, he, he it's all about his scent and his hearing, and while he understands some words, you know, they'll have dialogue, like, you, you know, one of the characters will say a whole sentence and stuff, and Thor will be like, oh, I know that one word, and that tone of voice sounds happy, and he mentioned my toy, so we're going to go outside and play with the toy, so I'm going to get excited. Like, it sort of explains, you know, the, w the way the dog sort of thinks. And anybody that has a dog <laughs> and, like, reads this, you, you immediately become, like, attached to it. You're like, yeah, this is exactly how a dog thinks. Like, I see the dumb look in their eyes when I'm rambling off a stream of sentences, and they don't know what's going on, but as soon as I say that one word they know, they're like, What? Yes, that's definitely what I want. So, um, <laughs> there there are a bunch of differences in the movie. Uh, I don't know if you guys seen Bad Moon. Yeah, I have. I, ha I haven't actually. Okay, no. So it's it's an early '90s yeah. werewolf movie, or I guess maybe mid '90s. Uh, I think it was like '96 or so. Um, and you know, it's it's pretty violent. And the the basic gist of it is that there's a woman and her son, and they have a dog named Thor. And um, her brother comes back from a trip in Borneo, I think, somewhere in the, the Asian islands. And in the intro of the movie, him and his girlfriend get attacked by a werewolf. And obviously he gets turned into a werewolf and they get that right out of the way. There's no mystery as to who the werewolf is. And the book is pretty similar, right. like within the first like chapter or two. They basically explain that Uncle Ted is the werewolf. This isn't like a spoiler or anything unless you don't watch the first 10 minutes of the movie. So um, the the idea of the movie is she goes to see her brother, Uncle Ted, who is a werewolf unbeknownst to her, and gets Uncle Ted to move into the house with her and her son and Thor. And um, Thor knows something's up. He knows that Uncle Ted is not who he used to be, 
And even in the movie, they, you know, they have, there's a lot of visual cues. There's no, like, internal dialogue from the dog. But, like, the, they'll show shots of the dog, like, looking at Uncle Ted and back and forth. And the reactions they get on the dog are actually kind of impressive. You got to wonder how they, they went through the training and stuff to, to actually get the dog to respond. I mean, not necessarily to the actor in real time, but I mean, like, just to respond to whatever they're getting him to do. Because it, it's pretty interesting to watch. And, um, so anyway, a bunch of stuff goes on. A couple people end up dying. Thor knows Uncle Ted's a bad guy. Thor attacks Uncle Ted in human form after confronting him as a werewolf and failing. And Thor gets put into the pound for attacking Uncle Ted. And then eventually Uncle Ted becomes the werewolf and attacks the whole family. And it's up to Thor to rescue everybody. So in the book, there's it's a little bit different. Obviously, it's a little expanded like any book. You know, they go more into characters and stuff. Um, in the intro, when it shows Ted and his, and his girlfriend, who is very nude in most of it, of, of, of her, the one scene she's in, it's mostly breasts. Um, she gets... She's on screen the whole time and, and all this stuff goes around. In the book, she's not even in the book. The only time she's mentioned in the book is when, like, Thor smells the uh, the apartment Uncle Ted lives in and is like, oh, that's weird. I can smell his girlfriend, but it smells like she hasn't been here in weeks. And um, there's other omissions, like half of the family's gone, or more than half. In the book, the family consists of the mother, the father, uh, two sons, one about 14 and one about eight. And uh, a baby daughter. In the movie, it's just a mother and a son. So all the other characters are just wiped away. And the son is probably like 12 years old in the in the movie. Um, there's a... Uh, yeah, cut out of the budget. <laughs> yeah, I, well... Budget reasons. Yeah. I'm thinking that, and I'm also thinking child actors. Like, you can't have that many kids in a movie. And even the kid they got, I forgot what the kid's name is, but he's one of those... Like, if you see this kid, you're like, oh, I've seen him in every movie from 1995. Every kid's every movie that has a child in it, this is the kid that's in it. Um, so I mean, he's okay. What are you gonna do? He's a child actor. Actually, the acting in the whole movie is not really top notch. Um, Mariel Hemingway is sort of the lead, not counting Uncle Ted, and she's kind of shit. And um, uh-huh. Uncle Ted is um, um, what's his name? Michael Rapare? Rapare? How do you say his name? I think it's Michael Perret. Yeah, that's it, Perret. So he's okay, but he's overacting the shit out of every scene he's in. And honestly, he doesn't have too many lines. It's mostly going back and forth and with uh, Muriel Hemingway, and she does the worst job I've seen her do in any movie in this. She's just terrible. But the real star of the movie are the special effects crew. They made... Th- this is maybe the most frightening werewolf I've ever seen on screen. It is terrifying. The head on this thing is better than the howling, better than American werewolf in London. It is the best werewolf head I've ever seen. Yeah. The problem is getting there. The transformation was atrocious. You are 100% (laughs) 100 correct, sir. So the transformation scene on this it was done in, this is 1996, and they tried to do CGI, and it does not work. I mean, 
it, it looks worse than any CGI transformation. You, you, the only one that's probably, well, maybe it's not even this bad, but it's equally bad is that um, the movie Cursed with um, mm-hmm. uh, Christina Ricci. Yeah, Christina Ricci, and I'm trying to think of the guy. What's his name? Uh, uh, Lex Luthor. Uh, What's his name? Oh, Eisenberg. Um, Michael yeah, Rose. Eisenberg, that's it. <laughs> and Lex Luthor's fighting werewolves. Horrible transformations. It's, it's equally bad with that. It's just not good at all. Um, so, yeah, but the werewolf itself, when it's after, it, when it's when they just show the wolf head, it is amazing. It's so good. And the thing about when they show this thing, it's not like other werewolf movies where they sort of hide it in the shadows and they don't really show the whole thing and it's just quick glimpses. This fucking thing is on the screen, in the light, center stage, lit up, and it's got all, it has all these like little animatronic motions on its lips and stuff that like move the whole mask. It's terrifying. It actually looks like an animal. Like you see this thing and you're like, what is that? That is not anything I've ever seen before. Yeah. So that works really well. Um, there's a couple other minor differences. A couple different characters get killed off. Like they, um, they kill off this, uh, this guy they call Flopsy, the, um, the guy that tries to get Thor to bite him in the beginning of the movie, where in the book, he doesn't actually die. Instead of him dying, the family's kitten dies and the family blames it on Thor because he's covered in blood. I know it's really sad. <laughs> um, it's a kitten. I know it's terrible. But the the kitten was kind of an asshole to Thor, but Thor felt really bad when it died, in the book at least. He was like, oh, he's like, I know, I didn't really like him, but he was part of the pack. And I feel just you describing yeah. just you describing the book a scene as the dog seen it is freaking hilarious. It it is it, it sounds funny, <laughs> but listen, if you're reading it, I swear to God, you get into it and you get like involved in this in this dog. I, I, I even contacted the author, Wayne Smith. I, I found his email, and I sent him a couple of questions, and he actually responded to me. <clears throat> so, wow. so I asked him, I said, you know, do you have dogs going up? And he said, yes. Yes, my family had dogs when I was growing up, and I always wondered and tried to imagine how animals' experience of life differs from ours, or differs from our own. I was especially close to our family dogs, and we were fortunate to have very smart dogs. So uh, I went on and asked him, you know, if he had any involvement in the movie, because like I said, the movie, you know, it's not told from the dog's perspective. It's told like a straight, straight movie, you know, with the humans being the main characters. And he says he was not involved in the production of the movie at all. Uh, Even when writing the first draft of Thor, I assumed it had no movie potential since the dog's point of view could not be adequately shown. I was shocked when my agent said she thought it would make a good movie, and even more shocked when they said they actually sold the rights. Once they were <laughs> once they were sold, I heard nothing until the movie was released. He says, because I had no expectations for the movie, knowing that the point of view would be discarded, I wasn't particularly bothered by the alterations, though I thought the very ending sequence was kind of cheesy, a visual cliche, which is sort of true. And he says, uh, I didn't leave the theater gritting my teeth, I thought the movie was okay, and I've been really surprised at the number of people who say it's their favorite werewolf movie. Um, so, uh, is, because the way he sort of told the movie, I was really interested in, like, it really sounds 
like he read up on what dogs think and how they operate. So I asked him like how much research he did, and he says almost none. I watched countless nature shows on dogs and mostly wolves. I spent exactly one afternoon in a public library where I discovered an encyclopedia of animals and read a bunch of about wolves, and but nothing I learned went into the story. By the way, when I wrote Thor, scientists were debating whether dogs were bred from wolves or from another branch of the canine family tree, similar to foxes. He, I had decided that they were bred from wolves and wrote the story as if it was an established fact. A decade later, DNA research determined that all dogs were bred from wolves, specifically gray wolves, and that was pretty satisfying. So it's like he sort of wrote this from a pack mentality, thinking like, they've got to be from wolves. Like, just making the assumption. <laughs> right. It would be like, how funny would it have been if they're if we found out that dogs were bred from some other canine animal that wasn't a wolf? It, most of the analogies and stuff in the book wouldn't have worked too well. Um, so when I asked him whether he, because I thought the whole idea of telling it from a dog's perspective is really interesting. So I asked him if he thought about the werewolf story first and then decided on telling it from the dog or decided I'm going to tell a dog story first and then added a werewolf. And he says, I was looking for something original to do and got the idea all at once. In about one second, I thought I'll write a horror novel from a German Shepherd's point of view. The dog's name is going to be Thor, and that will be the name of the novel. That's completely the opposite of what usually happens. And it's obvious that the only monster a dog could be able to take on was a werewolf. And it all flowed from there. So... Um, then we, uh, I, I sort of get into little spoilers here, so if you haven't watched the movie, which, uh, it's from 96, I don't really care if I'm going to spoil it for you, but this is a little bit of a spoiler for the end of the book. Um, I might hold off on it, well, I'll, I'll see if I can generalize it a little bit. So, the, the book does follow the ending of the movie, basically. Um, it's not as, the, the movie's sort of a quick ending, and the book is more drawn out, and has a lot more emotion to it. And at the end of the book... You don't know whether or not the that Thor is going to live or die. Like it's it's sort of on the cusp. But if if you watch the movie, you know he fights the werewolf, and uh, the dog gets his shit fucked up. And you know in the movie they're like, oh maybe he'll live, and then like a quarter of a second later, they're like oh he's alive. Sort of like Batman versus Superman. Oops, and um, didn't mean to spoil that one. But the. the uh, in the book, it's more drawn out. You don't know what's going to happen until, like, the very end of it. Um, so I asked him, you know, if he went back and forth on it or if he always knew what he was going to do. And he says uh, he usually hates happy endings. and No, I'm sorry. He hates unhappy endings. And I remember seeing old Yeller when he was a kid and being outraged that Yeller had to die at the end. And he finally thought, what's the point of writing fiction if I can't change my own ending? So he decided on the ending after he thought about what, what he would do. And it's kind of interesting getting the author's perspective on something like this. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a cool book and a cool movie. And actually, Scream Factory just released a, um, the movie on Blu-ray this week. I just got my copy today. And I didn't watch this copy to get ready for the podcast. But I did pop it in before we started the podcast to sort of see a couple things. They've got an extended opening with even more nudity than was in the previous one. Which is amazing because the girl's basically naked the whole time anyway. Um, but the oh. the picture is really good, and they also have a director's cut that's included on the disc. So I wanted to see a couple 
key points in the movie to see what the director sort of thought he should do with it. And what's the one thing he cut out, George? The CGI transformation is completely <laughs> <course>. gone. <laughs> it shows the actor in, in like the pre-werewolf makeup and he's got like his false teeth in. And then it cuts away and then it cuts back and he's a full wolf. Like there's no CGI choice. face stretching. And I'm like, that says a lot about about CGI when at the time they're like, oh, we're going to do this cool new computer technique and we're going to have this like gradual shift and you're going to see him turn into a wolf. And then the director probably rewatching it was like, ugh, that looks fucking terrible. Yeah, it really is probably some of the worst special effects I've ever seen. And I love it. The director's cut, chop, chop it right out. Just gone. So if if you're going to watch the movie, I recommend picking up that Scream Factory Blu-ray. Check out the director's cut on there. It's pretty good. The um, the author is not on any of the commentaries, or I don't even believe he's on the uh, the making of or anything, which is insane because I feel like the most interesting part of the story is that the book is written from the dog's point of view. And I highly recommend the book. Oh, also, if anybody's interested, they could pick up the book um, and Wayne Smith's new book, Nightlife. Um, also on uh, Amazon, Amazon Prime, so you can download those, and uh, everybody should. I really enjoyed it, and the guy's super nice. He was nice enough to answer my ridiculous emails asking about him um, writing the book, so I feel like everybody should go out there and pick up a couple copies. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty quick read, too. I honestly banged it out in, in like two days, and I am not a fast reader. I take forever. I'm the worst. Um, I, I think this. I think Thor is actually a really good book. If you've got, I'll say, like a teenager or somebody that's like, you know, into horror, but maybe they're not ready for something a little too in depth, like along the lines of The Exorcist. That's that's a lot of probably a lot of verbiage Oof. and a lot of mental issues going on there. If you want a nice, refreshing yeah. horror book for somebody that's a quick read and you could blast right through, absolutely get Thor. I might have to try and get a copy of that. Tough then. to find on actual book copies the copy that i got i bought from amazon it's a hardcover from the the wallingford library it used to belong to which is just down the road from my house interestingly enough i bought it online and i get the book and i'm like oh this is from like two towns over shit ah. <laughs> well yeah it's been it's been out of print forever but it's digitally you can get obviously any copy you want on amazon all right okay yeah, you're right about the werewolf though. It's one of the most menacing ones I've I could recall. Yeah. In film. Um I I'd put that wolf itself, not the the transformation. When we talk about werewolf transformations, you know, you're not you're not going to beat nah. American Werewolf in London or, or or even the Howling. Like that's you, you can't compete with that. Or nah. like we discussed last time that sort of reverse transformation on um um, Evil Ed on Fright Night when he's turning from the wolf back to human. That was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was done in, in different different takes, too. That's what made yeah. it look so good. You know, it would show him, like, in a full bodysuit thing, then it would cut away, go back, and he's he looks different again, and it cuts away, goes back, is even different. Yep. Yeah, and uh, in Bad Moon, they definitely spent the majority of their budget on that one werewolf costume. And honestly, it was worth it. It looks wow. fucking awesome. Yeah, it's a badass werewolf. I like the 
as far as werewolves go, I like the the design in late phases as well. That's a pretty badass oh werewolf God. too. That movie, I love that movie. When we do a werewolf episode, I'm definitely covering that one. Yeah, it was that. That's a yeah. good movie, and I love that werewolf. I like that whole movie. I, I love the um, the Charles Bronson esque character for the main guy. Yeah, I think he's amazing. So yeah, that's pretty much what I got for Bad Moon. Um, it's it's one of those things that I find the movie and the topic interesting. I'm not going to go out and say it's like the best werewolf movie or anything. I, I, I don't really think it is. I think the acting's pretty weak. And, you know, the cutting away that they did on some of the story and removing the majority of the characters from the book. Like the whole, the whole point of the book is Thor being part of the pack and protecting the pack, which is essentially what he calls his family. And in the movie, none of that is shown. That's like not even part of the topic. You know, he's just a dog that lives there. So I think they, they sort of lost that in the movie, which is the best part of the book. Um, but the movie's pretty good. It's fun. Uh, I, I recommend it for anybody that likes werewolf movies. If you want to see some great effects. And even the kills are pretty good, too. Um, on the director's cut and, and from the, the, the new um, transfer they got in the Scream Factory Blu-ray. The other one I had, I think it was a Mill Creek DVD. That's actually the one I watched for writing this review. If you just look at like two scenes, there's there's one where the guy Flopsy gets killed and the werewolf attacks him and he like manages to stumble away for a second. And you could see he's kind of missing like a part of a finger, you think, and there's blood and you're like, what is that? On the new one, you see like swinging chunks and like viscera just coming off of his hand and blood gooping. You're like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I, I fully recommend the new Blu-ray that just came out. Is that Scream Factory? That it is. They're unstoppable, man. I, I think they're even taking down Arrow, which is tough for me to say because I love Arrow so much. I remember watching that movie, and I, all I remember is like, thinking when I see Michael Pere is Eddie I was going to say Eddie of the Cruisers, yep. <laughs> He's been in a ton of stuff, and I'm, I'm sort of surprised that, I mean, I guess he's big. I don't know. He's not what you th what you think of when you think of like uh, a popular actor. I think the last thing I saw him in was um, the Virgin Suicides, and that was not a great. I don't know. I didn't love that. That was Coppola's Coppola's no. daughter's movie. It was all right. Oh, he was in Streets of Fire. Holy shit! I forgot about that movie. Oh man, I have that on HD DVD. He was um the voice. I don't know how much uh, PlayStation or Xbox you play, but. He was actually the voice of a character in one of the games. One of the too. games? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. A lot of these old horror movie guys that have been there, done that, they, they do a lot of voice work for yeah. video games now. Well, you know, I mean, my, my favorite one was... Um... He was in Bone Tomahawk, oh, actually. Oh, fuck, I love Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk? Who the hell was he in Bone Tomahawk? Oh, what the hell was that guy's name? Was he one oh, of the villain? I mean, one of the townspeople? Mr. Wallington, Mr. Wellington. I'm trying. I'm trying. I think it was like. I want to say Wellington. Mr. Wellington. Who, his name was. I don't know who movie. he was. Was he a townsperson? I don't think he was one of the main guys. Yeah. No. Hmm. I don't think he lasted long. He may have like. He may have had like ten oh, minutes okay. tops screen time. Yeah, I was gonna say um, uh, video game actors from the '80s. One of my favorites is uh, Michael Bean in uh, Far Cry Blood Dragon. That's like the best. Oh yeah. That game's insane. That's a, that, that game takes you right back to the 80s. Yeah. 
I, tr- I tried for years to get my little brother to play it because he's, he's big on, you know, any 80s movie and, and stuff. And he's just like, I don't know. I'm not into those Far Cry games. I'm like, Greg, just play this fucking game, man. He, fi- he finally, he finally <laughs> like, dumps it and buys it for, like, $2. And he's like, this is the best game I've ever played. Why didn't anyone tell me? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really good. So, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, that's my awesome. uh, that's my Bad Moon Thor sort of talk. Shane, you're still with us? We rocked the shit. We rocked the shit out of some film adaptations. Yeah, I think that's a good... I mean, we, there's always room for more. We could always do a second part. Um, I think now's a good spot to stop it. Shane, you got any closing comments if you're still awake? Um, I am still just awake. Uh, no, it is. I'll just say it was. Uh, it was. It was a good, good podcast tonight, and I'm glad George was finally able to join us. Yeah, I um, I slept Benadryl, and all the kids uh, uh, drink at dinner. <laughs> Make sure good man. Good man. children. He didn't tell us what he did to his wife, though. That's the question. <laughs> Do we want to Actually, that is a good question. <laughs> I don't know what I do. <laughs> I haven't seen her since 7 o'clock. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, so uh, George, you got anything that you uh, you want to plug or give away uh, other than your PSN name? Uh, no. I just uh, keep a lookout for um, any posts in the, on the message board where I do a lot of my communication and maybe I'll I sneak some writing stuff in onto the uh, Facebook group every once in a while. I do have um, a UHM message board only story that's still in progress. I didn't forget about you it. You forgot Shane. about it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's still going. It's 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 an exclusive to uh, UHM. I do have what I have already posted and up there. It's actually um, copywritten. Nice. So. It can't be stolen. Uh, and it will eventually, when it's done, not only be on UHM, I'll keep it up there forever. It will also be a publication. Awesome. And if anyone wants to read that, they that, can they can go to uh, the UHM message board. Is where correct. it's It's in yep. the fan fiction. Fan fiction section of the message board. Or they, if anybody's interested in my writings, you can also go to my Facebook fan page, just George Pastor. P-A-S-T-O-R-E. Awesome. You don't have a Twitter or anything? I have Twitter oh, as well. Okay. I don't know if you want to. Um, I do most of my communication on uh, Facebook, and lately with Twitter, I, I don't know why I'm I, I'm blowing up on Twitter. I, I got like a whole bunch of followers the past couple of weeks from publications and other authors, and uh, it feels good because it's like I'm getting I'm finally getting recognized. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's a good feeling, and I have some actually well-known authors out there that have um, given me advice, read some of my stuff, edited some stuff for me. Um, I, I'm actually friends, and I follow Douglas Clegg on Facebook and Twitter, a very amazing writer and an awesome person. If anybody wants to have the shit scared out of them and read a really good book, one of his is some of the best. I would recommend um, The Halloween Man from Douglas Clegg. Amazing book. Creepy as shit. Sweet. And uh, everybody should check out, as normal, the uh, UHM tweet and the 
um, upcoming horror movie fan page that's up on Facebook. And, uh, you know, if you see me around posting, um, feel free to add me as a friend or whatever. We all, yeah, we also have the UHM. Oh, I keep Instagram. forgetting about the Instagram. Are you are you running that Instagram, George? Or somebody is? Um, um, I contribute to it. I have I, I haven't really put anything up to it yet, but I do have the ability to uh, put pictures up and you know share some stuff on there. Yeah. So everybody, leave us comments if you find this podcast wherever you find it on um, if it's on SoundCloud or you get it on iTunes or wherever else. You know, leave comments and rate it. And, you know, just let us know what you like. And um, we also have an email. Uh, I think it's uhmpod at gmail.com. So if you want to shoot an email over, you can get us that way. Or say hi on Facebook or the message board or wherever. And until next time, everybody, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you later. Good night. Thank you for listening to UHM's podcast. Join us on Facebook. And please visit our main page at upcominghorrormovies.com. We'll see you next time.